What up, brothers and sisters? What the fuck up? A few weeks ago, I spoke at the LP LA County Convention in LA. The wonderful Angela McArdle kindly asked me to speak when we were at the Florida Convention. She said, would you like to speak at it? I was there to replace <laughs> Michael Bolden, who dropped out. So some people may think that they were shortchanged. I was thinking of you all at home when I gave this speech, when I prepared for it, because I thought, I don't know if I, if I make all the same jokes, the people that listen to the podcast will get bored. <laughs> I mean, it's okay for musicians to go out and play the same songs every fucking night. But if you're going to give a speech to a bunch of libertarians and do a podcast, you can't just make the same jokes again and again and again. So, I deliberately included some new material just for you guys at home. Sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 189 of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. Thank you everyone so much for joining us. This is a pretty great room. to the 2021 Libertarian uh, Party of Los Angeles County Annual Convention. A lot of people out there probably think we're all crazy for being in here, <laughs> but we are basically the remnant. And, you know, a lot of people in other states think we're crazy for continuing to live here, right? But the phrase is, so goes California, so goes the nation. It's incredibly important to strike at the heart of authoritarianism, and the heart of authoritarianism is here in California, specifically in Sacramento, in San Francisco, and Los Angeles, where we're at. We are, we direct culture to the rest of the world, and so we need to build a culture of freedom and personal responsibility. That is really important. Some of us have done an incredible job of that in the past year, doing outreach to small businesses, protesting, getting arrested, defying lockdowns, and documenting the destruction of tyrannical central planning. I wish Nick Nikitas was here. Um, I don't see Renita. They worked on a documentary interviewing small businesses in LA County that were crushed by lockdowns, and that was some really remarkable work. The tenacity of the people who defy the government edicts that basically subvert the laws of nature and the human spirit is inspiring. The spirit of liberty is definitely alive in this room, and it spans all ideological boundaries. Uh, you know, like there are so many fights over libertarian this, libertarian that. Uh, Mazesians, Rothbardians, Randians, anarchists, uh, classical liberals, atheists, Christians, Jews, agnostics, pagans, whatever, all manner of spiritual and irreligious people. Everyone here recognizes the value of directing our own lives. And that's the only way to foster an authentic community. 
So I thank you all for being here. Those of you who are here for the first time or who were afraid to be bold during the events of the last year and a half, I wanna challenge you to join us and take action. Push yourself beyond the boundaries of your comfort zone. We have a serious fight ahead of us. Do it for your future self, uh, for your children, for your families, and for the people that you care about. The tighter California's government squeezes its grip on us, the more chaotic things become, right? Central planning is actually like a misnomer and it will always fail for this reason. It defies the spontaneous order that's derived from freedom and self-governance. I want to remind you to value the concepts of freedom of speech and historical memory because those things foster a culture of liberty. One of the functions of memory is to allow you to look back on the past and extract lessons from your mistakes and the mistakes of people around you so that you don't repeat them again. So help people remember what happened during the lockdowns the last year and a half. And don't allow this atrocity to be swept under the rug of revisionist history. And speak about it. And it's okay to sort of stumble around in your words and your analogies at first. Work towards being precise in your speech but not at the cost of silencing yourself or the people around you. Don't be afraid to speak out. So in this way, I would say to take advantage of fear, let it motivate you from behind. Remember what we've been through and stay motivated to never let it happen again, but don't let fear control your life or keep you from action. You wanna master your fear. Try not to be too annoyed with people who disagree with you, even other libertarians. We have to strike a balance, right, between insulating ourselves in libertarian groups for the sake of our own sanity and our mental health versus going out into the world to spread the message of freedom for the sake of our future selves and the people we care about. So I thank everyone here for valuing your freedom. Let's consider carefully how much value we place upon our liberty and work harder to keep it from slipping incrementally away. Thank you all for joining us. So next up, we're gonna have a couple of speakers. So I wanna make a couple of announcements though. Afterwards, Ovens O'Brien and Judd Weiss are hosting a McAfee Memorial in their home. Ovens has posted the, um, the event information up at the front of the credentials committee. The meetup is gonna have cannabis and it's gonna be a non-alcoholic event from four to 10 p.m. Everyone who can behave themselves <laughs> accordingly is invited to attend. And there's also going to be an after-party beach meetup at Dockweiler Beach. And Mike is helping to organize and get people there. I believe there are a handful of people who are already there. So if you have any questions about that, you can see Mike, who is standing in the back. He's got a beard, a long sleeve, whitish shirt on, waving his hand, and he has a tie. And he's doing our sound. So thank you, Mike, for doing our sound. Thank you, James, for video recording everything for today. That is fantastic. Thank you to the Credentials Committee and everybody who contributed to swag bags, including Ovens, and uh, yes, CBD pins, and Tim, who got a bunch of great libertarian merch out. So our first speaker is Anthony Samaroff. He is a Scottish Mises Institute fellow. He is the author of Universal Basic Income, For and Against, and he also co he hosts a 
great libertarian podcast called the Scottish Liberty Podcast. And Anthony, if you are around, we are ready for you. Come on up to the front. Thanks. Thank you, Angela. Well, I'm glad that you all ate before I came and spoke because uh, well-fed audience is an attentive one or asleep. <laughs> uh, I was actually on the plane this uh, morning from Houston to LA and the air hostess asked me to put a mask on, so I took this out. And... Uh, <laughs> I fell asleep because I'm so bored of COVID regulations. Um, but has everyone been trusting the science recently? Ah. <laughs> you all been trusting the science? Just the other day, I was walking down the Isle of Walmart, and there's just two people not trusting the science in public, just standing in the aisle. And not trusting the science. And I thought, this is just what the world's coming to these days. And uh, we've been told a lot about um, what we are meant to do. And um, I don't think any of us could have really anticipated that people would willingly sacrifice their lives for 16 months or more. Like, I think we knew that liberty was, well, the prospects of liberty might not have been as good as some of us may have thought they were some years prior, but I didn't really realize how willing people were to, especially once the evidence started coming out of places like Florida and Texas doing pretty well um, in comparison to places like LA where you had the one of the most strict lockdowns in the country and didn't exactly perform that much better when it came to COVID. So I want to talk about that a little bit. I want to, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Scotland and uh, my experience with lockdowns there in a way somewhat analogous to LA because LA is a city of world renown for having a buzz for being a wonderful place to come and visit because it's lively. And you would think those who live in a city that, are, that is famous for its uh, nightlife, its comedy clubs, the birthplace of glam rock, the Sunset Strip, notorious. You'd think that people would want to preserve this culture, but they were asking for more lockdowns. So you might, some people might have some trouble understanding why a Scottish person is speaking at the LA County Convention. Well, some people just have trouble understanding a Scottish person. <laughs> um, so, but, so let me tell you a little bit about the reason I'm here. Well, the main reason I'm here is because Angela invited me. So I can't deny Angela everything, anything. Uh, if she asks me to do anything, I'll definitely do it. Um, Angela's been a friend of mine for several months now. And I'm always reminded of a, a great story I love about Ayn Rand, which is once she was walking down the street in New York and she bumped into Hez Henry Hazlitt, great libertarian philosopher, 
who said to her, oh, I was at Lou Misa's house the other night, and you, you know what he said? He said, Ayn Rand is the bravest man in New York. <laughs> and uh, Ayn Rand said, he said, man? And Henry Hazlitt said, yes. And she was delighted by this. So I think in the same spirit, Angela uh, will accept it when I say, Angela, you are the man. <laughs> you are the man, Angela. <laughs> A great shining light in the in the movement, I think. And she she is the man, and I hope one day the chair of the Libertarian Party. That she has a great destiny. I think she represents us so well. She knows all about libertarianism. She knows it inside out. But she also has an incredible sense of humor and is bringing that lightness to it, as well as um, a sort of psychological, personal. That's my my uh, hastily put together badge. I've got some lilac pen on it. Um, that they, they made for me. Um, she's bringing this personal development element to it, which is something that I enjoy. I don't know how many of you know me. Um, my other profession is I'm a therapist. So I, a lot of people think that you shouldn't bring self-help into libertarianism. But from my perspective, there is no libertarianism without individual empowerment. Because individuals who are not empowered do not have a favorable view of the free market. If they put you through a mandatory education system of 11 to 15 years, and you come out of that unable to get a minimum wage job, you're not going to have a favorable view of the free market. You're not going to have a favorable view of liberty. You want the government to look after you. And perhaps that's why the um, education system is what it is, and perhaps that's why, I'm just keeping an eye on, um, you know, they've destroyed your wealth for the last 16 months, because what happens when the people at the bottom start to achieve a middle class standard of living? They'll do the same things that middle class people do. They take their kids out of the public schools and put them in better private schools. Oh, well, then we don't need the state to provide education. They get over-the-counter health care. Oh, well, we don't need Medicare and Medicaid things. People can save for their health care. They're, they're people are not so bribable to go into the military for a free education if they're self-sufficient. People are not um, so inclined to commit crime if they're independent and self-sufficient. So, the incentives being what they are. People think that the, the poor, that's the one word that Americans can never understand when I say it in my accent for some reason. The what? The what? I mean, people in poverty, if that's not clear. People think that people in poverty need the government. The opposite is true. The government needs people in poverty because social pro problems are the health of the state. Oh, well, then we need the government to do this. Oh, well, then we need the government for that program. 
So it's down to us to become the kind of example of what we want to see in the world, to live free, to become independent and useful to one another, and to create this beautiful community to bring people from the outside into. Because when people leave leftism or republicanism, they're not just leaving a political ideology. It's going to put them at odds with their friends. It's going to put them at odds with their family. So we need to create a family to bring people from the outside into so that they see, wow, this is a really thriving community. I feel at home here. And if people have problems, they should be able to rely on the community for support and help. So if someone I don't know is visiting from another country and wants a residency in the United States, <laughs> I'm not saying anyone does, but you know, it could happen. Can they come to the Libertarian Party and find someone who knows someone who knows someone who's been who's been through it all before and can point them in the right direction? Don't be afraid to tell other people in the movement what your skills are. People need to know what you can do, what you're good at, so that when the time comes, they know what you're helpful for. That's how we build a community, and it's the free market way, voluntary association for mutual benefit. The leftists are fond of saying, we live in such an atomized society, no one knows their neighbors anymore. And it, yes, because your social programs worked, you see. Now when anyone has a problem, they don't need to know to their neighbors. What they need is a check from the government. The when the government takes on the roles that community used to fulfill, the need for a community seems to recede because people get their material needs by this marriage they have by the state, but they do not get their spiritual needs met. They do not get their emotional and psychological needs met. So I would like you to see this play as your playground to practice connecting with one another and to take our movement to the next level. Because when people are watching the news, the latest news on the coronavirus and trusting the science, they're not working on people on that purely intellectual philosophical level. They've got this intense music play, bum, 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 bum. Just today, 327 corona cases were. It's work. Thank you. You find this funny? Is this a joke to you? We're talking about coronavirus here. It's very serious. Bum, 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 bum. So they're working on people's emotional apparatus. And so must we. We've got great philosophers who've done much of the groundwork of the libertarian philosophy, and we have an answer to every criticism somewhere on YouTube. 
And it, I love it. You know, I'm very well versed in the history of libertarian philosophy. I like all the personalities. I like all the identities. And it, and we and there's still a need to revive that and write popular articles and things like that. But above that, we need to work on the emotional apparatus, which is to meet people's emotional and psychological needs. And the great need for today is the need for connection. So just remember when you get on the internet that there's another human being on the other side of your earth. I mean, I'm a really nice person until someone is wrong on the internet. <laughs> Anyone relate to that? All of a sudden, you are the cause of all the pain and suffering in the universe. And also, why must people be wrong on the internet? Why can't they all have the right opinions like me? So I got into some troll wars and I learned that the best way to deal with a troll is to use a technique called agree and escalate. Someone, I used to have long straggly hair. Some of you might have seen some of the movies. Here's some of my troll, my, my troll slay. And, you know, as you can see, I'm rapidly balding. So it had to go. But before I cut it, someone comments, wow. Russell Brand has really let himself go. <laughs> my response, it was my marriage to Katy Perry that took it out of me. <laughs> Agree with them and exaggerate. Why do you look so weird? Because I'm weird. <laughs> Why do you look so conventional? Who gave this hobo a phone? I stole it. Obviously. That British accent is shit. Works for Stefan Molyneux. Only some of you know how I'm talking about. Oh my God, he's a real boy. Yes. And my knob grows every time I lie. <laughs> knob is British for a male's genitals. <laughs> it probably has something to do with your mental illness and fa failure to cure it. I'm sorry, it's hard to type in a straight jacket. <laughs> Always have a better response. If you have money for a bar bar, you won't regret spending it. If you have money for a prostitute, you might lose your virginity. <laughs> okay. So, if anyone insults you, agree with them, and then exaggerate. Let's see. So let me just tell you a bit about Scotland, because when I was a small child, I grew up in the south side of Glasgow and I dreamed of living in the west end of Glasgow. When I was a teenager, my parents would drop me off at the underground 
and we get it round to the in the south side, and I get it round to the west end, and I go and play magic with gathering cards, anyway, and these Dungeons and Dragons and what have you. And like Dungeons and like Magic the Gathering cards then were like the Bitcoin of today because I thought they were too expensive and I didn't buy many of them. But actually I was an idiot because if I just bought them, then every packet included a card that would soon be rare and worth more 10, 20, 50, 100, $150 10 years later. And in fact, I accepted £250 in Bitcoin in 2015 and I sold it because I don't know very much about Bitcoin, so I probably shouldn't hang on to that. Idiot! <laughs> I think it's worth like $10,000 now. Anywho, most people have such a Bitcoin story. Then when I got a little bit older, Sorry, have you got someone important to speak to? As, can you share it with the whole class? I'm just teasing. I don't mind. So I became a goth, and they used to have these monthly nights where they'd play all this 80s goth music. I get my nail polish on, eyeliner. It didn't have, it was very metro, and it really worked on it really worked on the ladies at the time. But that's a little bit 2002 now, 2003. So we, we, we could drink at 18 in the, U, in the UK and I had a fake ID. So I got it earlier than that. And I, I was always afraid that someone would bust. This is in the western of Glasgow where it was happening. I was always afraid that someone would find out that I was only 17. But actually then you realise that no one cares except for you. So. It was like romanticized. And then when I was 22, I finally moved there. I went to college. And I was like, it seems to me that I was so young now at 22. But at that time, I was like, I cannot believe that it took me so long to get here. I've always wanted to live here. And, and since then, I lived in other places. I spent four or five years in Edinburgh, the capital city of Glasgow. And a couple of years ago, I came back to the West End of Glasgow and I was afraid that I wouldn't like it anymore. I thought it would be a little bit like, you know, you can't go back to the West End of Glasgow in 2008 now, can you? As much as you want to go back. But one night I was getting a taxi home and I came over the hill and I saw the West End and I was like, yeah, this is home. And then a couple of months later they locked down in Glasgow. And it was so depressing. This is a couple of months after I moved back to West End. See all my favorite cafes and bars. The first minister of Glasgow is called Nicola Sturgeon, and she's competing with the government of England to see who can be more authoritarian. And someone on a, wrote on a chalkboard outside their place, there are 42 jobs here in Nicola. And I was like, that's brave, because as you can see, most people don't speak out. Did the musicians, the artists, the comedians, the theatre makers in LA speak out? You'd think they'd say you were killing us. So around this time last year, they started opening up again. It was beautiful. People flooded out into the streets. They were having cheeky half pints of cider or liquid ounces, whatever you 
you guys use to measure drinks. There was limited capacity inside, so they pulled their tables onto the road, and it felt like the whole world was waking up. But then they brought in this mask mandate, and we're looking at each other askance, going, this doesn't make any sense. I thought they were opening up. Why are they closing down? So the reason why is, remember when I told you about how they work on the emotional apparatus? There's a technique in NLP, which is like hypnosis. If you really want to bring someone deeply into a trance, you don't just bring them deeply into a trance, because you can. It requires this two steps forward, one step back. You bring them out slightly, and then you bring them in deeper, and then you bring them out slightly, and then you bring them in deeper. And this is, seems to be a principle of how the mind works. It's in the stories, our favorite stories. Build up to a climax, then calm it down. Then even more into the climax, then calm it down, until we come to the ultimate climax, which forces the hero of the story to change, which is called an anacrusis. Look it up, real word. And then you feel um, a breaking of attention, and the same when we're flirting. You can't all be forward, otherwise it's too intense and you can't hold the tension. You a little, you flirt, you have, then you have a laugh, and you have a serious conversation, and then you're holding hands, and then you break it off, and then you put your arm around each other, and eventually you're lovemaking. And then you've got a house and two kids, and you're married, and she fractionated you into a long-term commitment. You know what I always say? Why get married when you can just find a woman you don't like and give her half your stuff? <laughs> so they brought in the mask mandate while they were opening up because they were going to close down again. And it was around that time that I said, fuck this, I'm off to Florida. And I meant to be here for about two months and leave at the end. High five! High five! That's, uh, oh, right. Uh, sorry, I missed that. I've got five minutes left. So, I thought I'd only be here for two months. But I got involved with the libertarian community, and I saw how wonderful you all are. And I've been traveling ever since, trying to encourage people to engage in the community the reasons that I've spoken about today. Now, just because the world seems to be going to shit doesn't mean that you should let it get you down, because if it does, then they win. I'm fighting this with every ounce of my being, but I'm doing it with a smile on my face. This is not the time to be shutting down. This is the time to be opening up. Go out and build your community. When they lock down, we open up. When they lock down, we open up. When they lock down, we open up. When they lock down, 
when they lock down, we open up. Thank you. Because being a professional libertarian was only my second choice of career. <laughs> Originally, wanted to be a stadium rock star. Yeah. Thank you for participating in the call and response. I think I can take a couple of questions until Angela throws me off stage. If there are any. Thank you so much. equivalent to Libertarian Party in England. We've got a Scottish Libertarian Party. Um, I, I'm always reminded of the fact that um, Murray Roth, uh, Walter Block asked Murray Rothbard, how many Libertarians do you think there are in the world? And Murray Rothbard said, I don't know, about 24. <laughs> I'm glad to say there's more than 24 in this room, and there's more than 24 members of the Scottish Libertarian Party. Just before I go, I've got a few copies of my book here. Please come and buy them off me, I'll sign them, because it might help cover the cost of my airfare. Thank you for being so attentive. I really enjoyed speaking to you, and thanks for sharing the time with me. Thank you so much, Anthony. That was a long trip he made to be out here with us. Um, I want to remind everyone, if you wanted to vote but you were not a member and you were trying to sort that out, please do that before we get started with business, um, and that's going to be in about 30 minutes. Our next speaker is Brian McWilliams of the podcast Lions of Liberty. He's the host of Electric Liberty Land, and he does this incredible thing that not enough libertarians do, which is he's got, he's got experience working in public relations and having a sense of humor. Um, we could stand to learn a lot from him, so let's give Brian a warm welcome. Thank you so much, Angela. I, don't, I probably don't need the microphone, to be honest. I, uh, I'll still use it just for the sound quality, but I'm loud. Loud and obnoxious, baby. That's how we do it in the Libertarian Party. Um, yeah, guys, I'm Brian McWilliams. Like I said, I'm from Lions of Liberty, but I actually am a public relations professional. I've been doing that for about 20 years. I also did stand-up comedy for five, six years uh, for shits and giggles out there in shitty bars with shittier people. But that has given me a wonderful way. You know, you deal with hecklers. I can deal with the Libertarians that I meet and uh, converse with on a daily basis. But it has given me, I'd say, the, the PR aspect. And by the way, get one more round uh, for Anthony, by the way. Great, great job. Love your talk. A lot of what I'm going to be speaking about actually overlaps with what you talked about, too. Sorry. I know. It's, I'm sitting there, I'm like, this motherfucker's going to take my entire speech. Um, but no, working in, in PR, I have a lot of experience working with companies or ideas or people that may not be that relevant, that interesting. They may be honestly repugnant to most people. And my job is to find a way to make these shitty ideas and shitty people appealing to everybody, right? Now, of course, we know our ideas are not shitty. However, they are repugnant to many, many people, right? And I, uh, I, I always joke when I do, do speeches, you know, I tell you guys to look to your left and look to your right and look all around you. Like that classic movie line, you know, when you're, gonna, you're in college and he says, look to your left, look to your right, you know, one of you will fail this class. <laughs> My take on that is look to your left, look to your right. Nobody likes anybody you just looked at, right? Because <laughs> we're all libertarians and we're widely hated. And that's why I've been doing a lot of thinking about ways in which 
I can apply my experience to say, how can we better sell the ideas of liberty? And it's not the fault of the ideas. The ideas are solid. The philosophy is solid, right? It's defensible. We can easily adapt. We can overcome any opinions or any arguments that come our way, but we're rarely given that opportunity, right? Unless it's in a, you know, a conversation on Twitter, in which case you, know, you can use the, the Samaroff method. I believe it's uh, trademarked now of uh, exaggerating to overcome. But what I've been thinking about is how we explain the philosophies, right? And from our libertarian perspective, there's a lot of things we don't like. There's a lot of monolithic things we don't like, and we describe them in those terms, right? Like, just somebody yell out, what are the, what are the top things you hate? What's one of the things that you hate right now? What are the things that we oppose? All right, public school. Let's go. What's another one? Income tax. Income tax. Now, if you're talking to somebody, how would you describe that? Would you say the income tax, right, when you're talking about it? Would you describe uh, the way in which money is handled as saying, you know, let me, let me tell you about the Federal Reserve, right? Very impersonal. Monolithic, some would say, the way we describe these things. And... When you guys have probably had this experience yourselves, when you're talking to the normies out there, uh, the slugabouts on the street that are walking around still wearing their, their fucking masks. Excuse me, I curse a lot, by the way, so just get used to that. Still wearing their masks on, despite the fact that we know there's no science that possibly backs up wearing a mask outside, and that never has been. When you talk to the average person about this, and you go, look, let me tell you about the Federal Reserve. And their eyes... Slowly glaze over, they get milky like uh, they now free Bill Cosby. You know? Good job, Bill. Way to go. Uh, no, just kidding. But you know, they, they get all milkied over and they just lose any interest. Now, why do they lose interest? Is it because they don't understand the philosophy that we're telling? Is it because they don't understand what the Federal Reserve is? Yeah, that's probably a component of it. But a bigger component of it is that most people have no idea how that relates to them really in practical terms, right? So when we talk about the Federal Reserve, they go, okay, it's a thing, it's a, I know it's a bank, I know they print money, That's, and everything else is above my head. They don't think about the personalification of that, right? How does this affect your life? And that's why the way you know, the title of this talk, it's gonna be a couple of things on kind of wide range, and I won't bore you guys too much, probably about 20 minutes. But the title of this talk, thinking of, is your not the, right? The way it was to be mentioned. You're not the. So let's go into it. Let's say when we're talking about the military industrial complex, right? Talk to the average person about that. They probably don't know any people that went to war. They probably don't have anybody in their direct life that is affected by it. You know, there are certain communities that are more affected by going off to war. There are certain people in the United States that are, probably are never really impacted because we're not over there. We're not the ones being bombed, you know? We're not the ones volunteering to go to the army necessarily. So the average person you talk about the military industrial complex, they don't give a shit. But you talk about it in a different perspective. You say, you know, your family is actually in a higher danger level now because of the ways which we go about our foreign policy. Your family at home has less money to spend because of the ways in which we have to spend on the military industrial complex. Like, that's one example. Let's talk about something like, uh, just simple stuff. We talk about public education, right? We can talk about teachers' unions, 
right? You could say, well, the teachers' unions, and they go, ah, oh, okay, this is fucking libertarian bullshit. You're gonna tell me about unions again? I don't care. But when you talk about public education, you say your child's choice, your child's schooling is impacted negatively because we don't have the ability to choose where they're gonna go. Your child is gonna have, uh, let's say, if, if you don't like critical race theory, right? Your child is gonna be exposed to a very specific way of thinking you might agree with, and you have almost no ability to change that. You might go to a parent-teacher conference, you might raise your hand and object, but really, your ability to influence this policy is so limited because of the choices that you have forgone. You have to make it personal to people so that they understand how it impacts them. Like Anthony was talking about the emotional resonance and how libertarians, we don't have a lot of emotional resonance. You know, it's very dry, it's very boring. We have to find ways in which people can view libertarian philosophy in their personal lives, and that's the disconnect. So once we do that, right? Once we say, it's about you, you're not the, people can then say in their own minds, okay, you're right, you know, my kid doesn't have a choice, or we're all, like, we're all here in Los Angeles, um, you know, your neighborhood is overrun with homeless shitting in the streets, right? Now they can start to think about how that impact actually weighs on their life. It doesn't become a philosophy where we say, well, the homeless epidemic is big government. It shows it's become an industry in its own right. Okay, they go, well, you're not thinking about the homeless. You're not thinking about these characters. We can get into the drug war. We can't say the drug war. It's your neighborhood is impacted by the drug war because your police aren't doing the job of preventing the basic law and orders which we want to protect, right? Instead, they're off busting drug rings. Instead, they're off putting people in jail for victimless crimes. Your child is in more of a danger of going to jail because of the drug war. Your child is more in danger of having their life taken away for cooking a plant because of the drug war. See what I'm saying? So once you start this kind of cascade mentally, though, people are going to start exploring and thinking about ways in which the government's impacting their life in other ways. You know, it's all about planting that seed that's going to spread and transfer through the population and getting them thinking in their own way about personal liberty. So let me bring up my notes here. My phone shut down. So, again, you know, one thing I want to get into a little bit is when we apply this philosophy, you're not the, right? We're a little, here in L.A., I don't know how many people here own homes. Like, raise your hand if you actually, if you own a home here in L.A. All right, that's pretty good. Good for you guys. I also own a home. But for the average American now, home ownership has become something like the American dream. The classic American dream is almost unattainable. Why is that, right? It's another example of how we can talk to people about owning the American dream from a libertarian perspective. You can't afford to buy a home because of the loans that have been put into place, because the government has backed these massive institutions that have now driven up the price of homes. You can't afford a home because of the fiat currency that's being printed. You can't afford a home because of the military industrial complex. You can't afford a home because of the inflation that's been put into place by all this massive spending at home that's made it absolutely impossible for you to keep up with the trends. People used to put down 20% because they had that money in the bank. Well, nobody can do that anymore. It's 10%. That's the most you can put down because you can't afford more than that because inflation has outpaced your ability to keep up with the marketplace. Your children don't have enough to eat because this inflationary process has gone up. So you can see, you know, I'll move on from this, but you can see what I'm saying insofar as how the messaging has to be fundamentally changed from attacking monolithic institutions nobody gives a flying fuck about to making sure that people understand how they impact people directly and connecting them 
kept in that thought process so that they're thinking through to come to our point of view. Um, next day I want to move on to, and again, it's going to be kind of ranting here. Um, from, from, again, from a messaging perspective, there's something I was just thinking about the other day, and I think it could actually work well for us. And that's, if you haven't noticed, the younger generation coming up, you know, nobody in this room, sorry guys, sorry to break it to you, but you're not in there. But the younger generation is now looking at woke politics, woke policy, the way in which the media has messaged, the way in which they're being taught their education, you know, this top-down left authoritarianism. They're looking at that and they're rejecting it, right? Now, the question is, is, that, is it just because they don't want to listen to authority? Is it just because, you know, the kids are going to rebel type of thing, right? Because whatever is the prominent perspective of the day, the children are going to say, yeah, fuck that. Yeah, screw that. I don't want to do it. I'm going to go my own way. So that led me to start thinking about a concept that I think we could work on owning, which is that left is lazy. Now, I don't mean the left is literally lazy, lying about, you know, uh, people on welfare getting their government checks. They, they are getting that, too. Um, the concept is more that we need to own the fact that the left is lazy and that being left is lazy. Being left is intellectually lazy. Being left is uncreative. Being left is, uh, is, is the opposite of being brave. It is to literally sit on the river on a tube and float down. You don't want to make any waves. You don't want to fight back. You don't want to challenge authority. You don't want to challenge the mainstream narratives. You don't want to think for yourself and you don't want to be creative. When we talk about trying to make libertarianism something that's actually going to inspire people, it's actually going to resonate with people, we need to tap into that emotional resonance, that creative resonance, so that it's not this dry you know, shitty thing where you go and read, okay, here, read Man, Economy, and State. Oh, wow, thank you. What a fun way to spend my summer. No one's going to do that, you know, especially that young kid. But we talk about saying, look, the left is lazy. The way you're thinking, the way you're acting, the way the, the material that you're imbibing is, in every sense of the word, the mainstream narrative. It has become passe. You are basically, you know, eating rice every meal. You're not challenging yourself mentally. You're not coming up with anything that's actually going to inspire somebody. And you certainly aren't brave. You certainly aren't hashtag resisting. You certainly aren't leading the way, you next generation of children. So by owning that, by making these people associate in their minds this common narrative, the mainstream narrative of wokeism, of, of leftism that's overtaken mass media, mass culture, by making them associate that with being absolutely shitty, absolutely lame, we can actually start to adjust the way the culture can evolve, where we're going to see the next generation of filmmakers, of comic book artists, of musicians start to fight back, start to rebel, yell back against leftism. And it's already begun, I'm telling you for a fact. I've seen it in, in you know, my, my family, my friends, my, you know, anybody that's about 15 to 17, I'm talking to these people, and they hate Kamala Harris. Hate her. Why? Because they can see she's, she's just gone along. She's a, a system of this left machine. She is a, a viper who has, you know, withheld evidence to keep people in jail, that's gone up, threatened women who are, you know, what single parents because their kids weren't going to school with going and spending time in jail for truancy. You know, all these horrible things, and the kids are looking, they're saying, God damn, this is the prominent culture right now. I can't go along with this. 
I have to stand up and be brave. So I think by reacting to that, by buying into that, we actually have a chance to change the culture and inspire people. Because that's the thing. We have to think of ways, and this it ties in my overall theme here, ways in which libertarianism can be inspiring, can be personally relevant, can become more than just, well, you know, I'm going to be a libertarian, and libertarians are weird and different. You know, everybody's, everybody's autistic in the libertarian party, right? That's the ML we've got. Well, you know, we can change that. But it has to be ways in which people are inspired, people find relevance in their own lives. Personal liberty is something that not only has to be embraced, and, and again, to reference Anthony's talk, you know, empowered people embrace freedom, embrace liberty. We are talking about finding ways to put that seed, again, your, not the, put that seed in their mind of your personal liberty is being impacted by these policies, you can vote on, you can change it, you can elect different people, you can go out there and speak to somebody, go and make a stink at your PTA meeting, go and make a stink somewhere else, go and talk to your local, uh, you know, your senator, call up email, do whatever you want to do, but you can become empowered by this, but they're not going to be empowered until they realize there is a personal impact on their lives that comes up more than just bitching about these big things. Um... All right, last thing I want to talk about, and then I'll wrap it up, is, well, actually, I'll take, I'll take some Q&A at the end for, for five minutes. So the last thing I want to talk about is, again, something I've just been noodling over my head here, and this is a little bit off the beaten track, but, you know, we're coming out of COVID, we're coming out of these lockdowns, right? And I was talking to my wife the other day, I'm, I'm thinking about voting blocks, I'm talking about the people that can be inspired to come over to the libertarian side of thinking, the people that are going to be, again, personally impacted. And I was trying to think of you know, ways, okay, what are the big, the big pillars that have been hit during COVID that are pillars that really matter to people? And I thought to myself, well, religion is obviously a huge one, right? And there's a lot of overlap between libertarian philosophy and Christianity. I mean, I myself am more of the agnostic sort, right? I don't, I don't really go too deep into the, uh, the whole believing in God and Christianity, but I was raised Catholic. And I know that a lot of the principles we believe in, you know, your God-given rights, that is tied in with Christianity and Catholicism. And I look at Donald Trump ushering into victory, and half of that was people just going, well, fuck you and fuck you. I'm going to go vote for this, this knucklehead over here, right? And those people are, without a doubt, our people. Let me remind you, Ron Paul, a lot of the Ron Paul movement were the same people that voted for Trump the next cycle around. I promise you that. The people that just want to vote for someone that's going to be outside the system so we can get those people back and hopefully get them to stay. But a lot of Trump support also came from where? The religious right. Now, I would argue that the Republicans have let that base down. That is a massive voting population block that we can appeal to and we can own because while they were being told during COVID lockdowns, you couldn't go to church, you couldn't worship, you couldn't celebrate your religion, you couldn't congregate anywhere. For fuck's sake, do you guys remember they literally arrested people? I think it was in North Carolina. They did a drive around service. They parked in a parking lot and the cops came and arrested these people for being in cars in a parking lot. Where was the GOP? Where was, if this is a two-party system and the one party is supposed to stand up for religious freedom, where were they? We can own that voting, voting block. We can own that section of the population by saying, we are the only people who will 100% stand up for your right, your freedom, your ability to, look, if you don't want to bake the cake, you don't have to bake the cake. Sorry, Gary Johnson, that was a fucked up response when he said that you should bake the cake. 
You don't have to bake the cake. You don't want to. That's your religious perspective. You need to be able to go and celebrate. You need to go and see loved ones. If you want to bury somebody, if you're you know, the Jewish faith, you need to bury somebody within three days. Good luck doing that during COVID. Libertarians, we will protect your right. We will protect, protect your right to congregate, to celebrate, to worship your God. And we're the only party that will do that because you see what happened with the other two. You've seen your rights taken away. You saw the rug pulled out from under you. You saw that you were arrested. You can depend on us and no one else. All right, open up, uh, do a quick, couple quick Q&A and then I'll... Thank you. Buggy. Yes. Are oh, you saying the, the conservative party as far as standing up? Well, there's there's some truth to that, but they were being frozen out of, of social media. I agree. But the thing is, the point is, if you're going to have the religious right and they're voting this massive block for the Republican Party, they were voting people into power, is my point. Social media, that's a component, but we're talking about people that are actually in charge of legislation that let it happen. They let it happen. So, you know, I, you can't just use Twitter as an excuse and say, well, they were, they were complaining on Twitter, but they locked me out of my Twitter account. So sorry, no God for you. You know, it's, it's got to be a little bit more prolific than that. Anybody else? Any other questions, comments, concerns, compliments? No? no? Yeah. You mentioned that um, the teens that you spent with, they're upset and they have surprising libertarian views. Um, is there a certain area within the county that you notice that? No, it's, this has just been anecdotally, yeah, anecdotally. Um, but I've heard it, uh, you know, I was actually um, speaking with Olivia Rondeau, who is a uh, collegiate wrestler, if anybody's familiar with her, but she's a collegiate wrestler, uh, you know, bisexual, uh, half black, she's a person of color, but she's been very, very outspoken, pushing back against kind of left culture. Um, and she said in her experience, a lot of this is happening as well. And in the same age group, and she just turned 21, but she's in that, you know, 16 to 18 to 20. So she said as she was coming up though, um, Donald Trump, right, he first got into office or, or he was first getting his buzz, right? She was on board with all of her friends and they're saying, oh, this, this imbecile, this and that. But she said, but as I started to talk to other people, as I started to see this massive wave of opposition and this uniform thought, I saw my other friends, so there's actually people on a wrestling team. One, so the biggest MAGA fan was a, a black wrestling uh, guy on the team. So they were starting to say, no, I like Donald Trump and pushing back against this, this woke culture. And she said that she's seen in just daily life talking to people that a lot of kids in that generation are doing the exact same thing. It's literally something where, I mean, imagine this way. Anything when it's a, a flat, like it's like looking at a blank wall, right? If you're looking at a wall and it's painted white because everything right now is that same message, the same color, and you have one dot of black on that wall, where are you going to look? You're going to look at that black dot. You're going to start to question. You're going to start to examine it. And you want to find out a little bit more. What the fuck is this speck? So you're seeing that now. You're seeing this younger generation, like I said, rebelling against it, trying to find out more, trying to find ways in which they, they can find their own way of being creative in this blank, white canvas of uniformity. Anyone else? Yes. So every time I see you speak, it's great. Uh, it's, and it's always like you're building on it. Theme, which is also great, and I appreciate that. As, as long as people, if they saw everything else I did, it's great, otherwise it's terrible. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, yeah, a little better every time. 
what I, one of the questions I had last time that you spoke to, it's like, okay, these are all fine and good ideas, but how do normal people like us, you know, do that? Right. It sounds like partly this is what you're kind of focusing on. Now. Exactly, yeah. Is there more information, more outlet stuff out there? Have you put anything online to help people really start formulating concepts and ideas? So, the, the answer question. So, if you didn't, if you didn't hear what he was saying, he was saying that um, I'm talking about you know concepts and and how do we apply these directly, and that's you keyed on it. What I'm thinking about is how we can apply them. Um, that whole you know the whole concept of you're not the is something that I think people can immediately put into play and immediately start thinking about the way we talk to friends and family and relatives and and uh, coworkers and you know bus people that we sit next to, whatever people drunk at bars, which is where I convert most of my libertarians. Um, but that's exactly right. And uh, so I just did an episode on Electric Liberty Land uh, called You're Not the a few episodes ago, and what I'm working on now is trying to get this concept like. This is, uh, hopefully it came across pretty well, but this is a fairly new idea to me. So I'm trying to branch it out. I'm trying to make notes. What I'd like to do, ideally, is actually either do something on YouTube or maybe an entire episode of my show, breaking down topic by topic, uh, you know, the five or ten biggest pillars that we believe in and how you can message that specifically with the your, breaking into how it's going to impact people's lives. So that's something I'm working on now. Um, and then... Oh, Okay. Oh, sorry, I was going to say I'll wrap it up. Oh, what was the second part? Um, well, the, you have resources online. Maybe have you thought about doing some training for people, individuals, groups, big corporations on how they can get that enhancement? Yeah. No, I, no, I, I agree. Um, yeah, it's 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 like anything. It's a matter of bandwidth, but it's I think it's a good idea, and I think it's something, if I can get it to the point where I'm comfortable with it, sharing it, and I think it's going to be easily digestible and something I can actually put a program together with, I would happily do it. So, um, yeah, stay tuned, I guess, and we'll see if I can make that happen. All right, thank you guys. Appreciate your time, and I appreciate you being here. Thank you very much for joining us and for speaking to us. So we're going to take a, a short five-minute